You are listening to the Build Your Network podcast. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Build Your Network podcast. Unjanita, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. You have no idea. I'm so excited. (laughs) I'm excited as well. I've been listening to a lot of your interviews and digesting a lot of your content. And I'm really excited uh, to have this talk today. Obviously on this show, we talk a lot about networking and that's something I know you have so much practical advice to give us. But I want to go back to the very beginning because some of your early relationships were rooted in quite a bit of trauma. Listening to a lot of your interviews, some of those formative years were were rooted in some pretty scary or, or tense situations. Can you talk a little bit about your early relationships and how those affected your view kind of moving into adult life? Absolutely. Well, when I was about 15 years old, around 15-ish, I was placed in a children's shelter Mm -hmm. and um, I later went into the foster care system. And when you're in the foster care system, you immediately know that okay, you're, you're gonna have a you're gonna have a tough life, okay? Because you're 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 a kid that is labeled. You're put you're put in a group. I call it parentless children, and, and and people sort of look at you like, oh, you're 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 a kid that no one wants, and that's your station in life. And I was later placed in a group home, and that's essentially how I develop you know this conviction this desire to do something with my life because the odds were against me. Well, that, that's a really interesting perspective. And it's something that stood out to me listening to your interviews is that, you know, for you, there's this idea that, you know, you were motivated by these traumatic situations. You were, you mentioned one of your, your episodes that being told you can't do something like drove you forward to do it. Where did that come from? Because I think a lot of people share your story and say like, that's the reason why I can't be successful or that's the reason why I can't pursue my dreams is because early on life dealt me a bad hand or I had this, you know, the universe was working against me or whatever the, the label you want to put on it. People allow these situations to freeze them. What was it inside of you that said like, okay, now that this has happened, I'm going to use that to propel me forward? Well, I think the moment I ended up in the children's shelter, And I started the court process. So I was assigned a social worker. I was assigned a probation officer. And I have to say, I was very fortunate because they were very positive. They saw something in me. And I remember my probation officer told me, he said, there's something about you. Like you're supposed to do something big with your life. And maybe that's what he told all of the little girls. But I remember that. And I remember when my social worker drove me to the group home and she was so positive and and so excited. And that helped me get through 
you know, the fear, the uncertainty about my future. And, and I, and I held on to that because there were people that, you know, thought I, I would not amount to anything. Yeah. You know, there were, there were people that, you know, thought, oh my gosh, so, you know, this girl's going to end up on the streets, you know, she's out of control. You know, I was one of those girls that, that was labeled and I held on to that belief. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to say it was easy. It was easier. And I held on to that belief and that's how I developed myself. Yeah. It's huge to me, like to be able to avoid that cynicism. Cause I think people who've been through even a lot less would sit there and say, oh, there was this thing that happened. And that's my thing that I lean on. That is the reason why I can't do this thing. Or it's the reason why I've lost this kind of idea, this idealism of like, oh, I could do something where there is this potential here. And early on in your story, I mean, you've again mentioned some other shows, like you created a lot of your own opportunities. What was the first time that you really did something that was truly for you, where you took a step in a direction that some people would have said is crazy, but it paid off in a big way for you? Well, this goes with a show. <laughs> this, is, this is a true story and um, can be verified. When I was placed in a group home, I knew that, you know, I, I, I wasn't going to have any money, mm-hmm. you know, uh, foster kids, you, you know, they don't, they don't get any money. You're, you're placed in a group home. People are paid to take care of you and cover your basic needs. So I knew I, I wasn't going to have money to do, you know, the things that a 15 year old, you know, normal 15 year olds, you know, could do. So I wanted a job. I wanted to work. So I received a flyer and the flyer said, pass out flyers in the neighborhood. And it was for the local real estate agent. And this is in San Jose, California. And I don't know, Eric, but something came over me. And I thought, I don't want to hand out flyers. Nothing wrong, nothing's wrong with that, okay? But I wonder if I could work in the office and answer the phones. I thought it would be so glamorous because I thought I'd be able to dress up. I could meet people. Obviously, that would make me feel better about myself. And so I called the, um, the, the realtor's wife, you know, she was the one that, um, handled everything. And she said, yes. And I worked in the real estate office part-time every Saturday and Sunday until probably I was about 18 years old. And that, and, and that's the first time I monetized my network because when I made that call, they knew my foster mother. Mm. So that's why I got the job because they knew. Mm. Yeah. You say there was a connection there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I didn't have to go through an interview. You know, obviously they called me in and they said, you know, come to the office, you know, check things out. You know, this is, this is what you're going to do. This is how you have to dress, you know, that kind of thing. Punch in, punch out, minimum wage. You know, I was mm-hmm. 15 years old, I made minimum wage. And that was the first time that I felt in control. You know, I was mm-hmm. making money. Yeah, I felt like, okay, it was okay to ask for what I wanted. And that gave me so much confidence at 15 years old. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you kind of just answered it saying it gave you confidence, but what was that feeling going from obviously being in situations where you couldn't necessarily rely on the people around you to make sure you had the, the opportunities that you wanted or needed how did it feel to take ownership and make decisions that immediately resulted in 
financial, you know, some financial income in uh, connecting you with things and opportunities that you didn't necessarily expect to have. What did that do for you emotionally? What did you feel in those moments? I felt obviously I was excited, but I also had a level of, it it was, I I saw the possibilities because the man that I worked for, his name was Rick and he was the number one realtor in Northern California, Century 21 Realtors. And what happened was over the years I was promoted, I, I ended up, you know, hosting open houses. I ended up going to the real estate conferences. Now, now mind you, I'm, I'm like 17 years old and I'm going to the real estate ball. Yeah. So it just expanded my mind. You know, I saw what was possible. I obviously, you know, saw these big checks coming in, you know, to yeah. the office. And I remember one time I saw a check and it was, you know, it was like 30,000. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And, and I said something to, you know, his wife about it. And she said, you know, you shouldn't talk about that <laughs> because, right. because I was, I, I couldn't believe it. I saw a $30,000 check, you know, and I'm making minimum wage, but I, I had never seen that kind of money before right. in my life, you know, like it was just one check, you know? And so, so it, it just opened me up. And, and I think, you know, it was that little bit of hope, you know, that carried me through to the day I was aged out of the foster care system. Right, right. Well, obviously, I mean, leveraging a relationship, monetizing it as an, at an early age did a lot for you. I mean, financially, but also gave you a mindset to say like, this is a path. Like everybody has a network. Everybody has a way to leverage that network to uh, accomplish their goals. Was that something that you continued practicing? I mean, you went from real estate, obviously, time in Hollywood, doing, doing other work there. Was that consistently just building and leveraging those networks or was it some leaps that took a different path outside of networking? When I look back on my journey, because obviously, you know, when I was 15, I had no idea I was monetizing my network, right? right? You're not doing it thoughtfully. You're just kind of doing it and learning as you go. Yeah, exactly. And so after, you know, real estate, then it was, um, I was awarded a scholarship to go to beauty college. Hmm. And so I'm in beauty college and my foster mother's granddaughter was a makeup artist and she was already working in Hollywood and I wanted to get to Hollywood. So guess what I did? <laughs> Internship? I, asked her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I said, I, said um, I, I want to get to Hollywood, you know? And so I had to figure out a way to get to Hollywood. So you know what I did? <laughs> this is so, so crazy. I asked her, an ex-boyfriend and I said, can you drive me to Los Angeles? Mm. I'm going to pack up everything, put it in a U-Haul. And um, and can you just drive me? I will pay for your plane ticket back to San Jose. Mm. And he did it. Wow. And so I, I moved. I, I moved from San Jose to technically Burbank, California, which is, which is right. right outside of um, Universal Studios Hollywood. And, you know, again, I continued to ask. And um, I wanted to know, how do I get into, you know, show business? And I was referred to a guy at uh, Central Casting, which is a very famous casting in Burbank. And I ended up in a, um, in a cattle call. They call it cattle call. I know that doesn't sound very glamorous, but it's, it's a casting call. But there's, you know, normally there's hundreds of people. And I was literally like spotted. And they said, do you want to dance in this movie, Boogie Nights? <laughs> I said, yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. And, um, and so I, and that's, that's how I started. And and then from there I worked with John Bon Jovi, 
Philibab Thornton in the movie Homegrown. I'm the girl that is in the hot tub. And um, and then I went on to work with Steven Spielberg and Amistad. And I, and I just have to keep reiterating this. These were all gigs that I landed networking. So what I yeah. did was every gig in Hollywood, I landed through networking. Hmm. So from my work with, um, I, I worked in Homegrown, Billy Bob Thornton, Spielberg and Amistad. All those jobs I landed because I built relationships with the casting directors, mm -hmm. casting agents, you know, and I didn't have an agent at the time because, you know, I was, I was technically an ingenue and um, I didn't have any credits. I didn't, you know, I, I, you know, I, I didn't have a stage mom yeah. and it was, it was networking. Yeah. It was networking. Every single opportunity, every single opportunity was networking. Even the gig with Janet Jackson, it was, mm -hmm. it was networking. Yeah. Well, there, there's so many people that go to Hollywood and I think, you know, they go about networking and even the word networking has become so loaded because so many people do it in a very sleazy or insincere way. You know, I'll do one for you. You do one for me, or I'll connect with you in a way that, you know, if I connect with this person, they'll open this door. How did you approach networking? Cause like, obviously Hollywood's full of people that uh, in business world is full of people who, you know, will pass out the business card or they'll go to somebody and say like, Hey, could you please do this for me? How did you go about bringing value to people who could then open those doors for you and do it in a way that was authentic and, you know, real in the way that you form those relationships? I would call the casting agents and check in. Hmm. I also mailed my headshots, you know, back then we, we mailed headshots. And when I was on set, you know, I was always respectful. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I didn't, you know, do anything crazy. I didn't stalk celebrities. I didn't, you didn't, I didn't ask, you know, celebrities, you know, for, for anything. Like I was very professional, you know, and even though I, I had these, you know, very glamorous, you know, sexy girl, you know, gigs, you know, there, there's a lot of, you know, innuendo that surrounds that, but I, it was always a job. I was always professional. So what happened was they would get a message saying, you know, that was a, a great girl. She was, she was great. You know, we want to work with her again. And then of course they would, they would, you know, refer me to another, another job, but I did things like send them cards, you know, during Christmas. And I remember one time I went to central casting and I, and I bought all of the casting agents, like, you know, little, little bath items. And, you know, yeah. you know I, I did little things to, to show my appreciation, but it was just basic social skills. Yeah. You know, that, that's really what it was. And, and, and that's what I have to say, you know, now, you know, in the social media era, because back then social media didn't exist. Yeah. We have been robbed of our innate social skills. Yeah. Like, like people don't really know how to connect with people. They don't know how to, to relate to another person. And and I and I love the fact that that I still have that and I and I teach that to women because it's so powerful. And you never ever ever know, you know, like like you're always one person away from an opportunity. Like mm. like 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 that's my model. You know, yeah. like you're, you're always one person away. Yeah. I, I love that. You mentioned the basic social skills. I was talking to somebody today and we were talking about podcast hosting, but I think it's the same thing is, you know, I was talking about how some podcast hosts, you know, don't do any research, don't know anything about the guests, don't know any background. And I was telling them, I said, it's so easy to stand out because so many people do the bare minimum. And I think with networking, it's the same way. Like you talk about 
bringing a small gift, writing a note, like that's simple, basic human connection things, but 99% of people don't do them. And so I love that the way you stood out was just by doing essentially, not to be a little what you're doing, essentially the bare minimum, like what's the things that would make someone feel good? It doesn't have to be going and buying them some crazy expensive item. It's like, I'm going to handwrite a note because who takes the time to do that, especially now in the social media era? I think you're you're so right there. That's a, that's a huge thing for people to grasp is it doesn't take much to stand out uh, from the crowd when it comes to this stuff. Absolutely. And, and I, and I still, I still follow that philosophy mm-hmm. to this day. Yeah. Well, when it comes to teaching people how to do this now, you mentioned that and you mentioned teaching women specifically how to network. First of all, I, I mean, your brand networking in stilettos, I think obviously speaks to a very specific person. You know, you're speaking to a female audience. Number one, I guess, why dial in specifically to the female audience when it comes to networking? And uh, what's the specific drive there in in reaching that audience and helping women to uh, better establish strong networks and cultivate strong networks within their fields? Well, you know, it's interesting because I sort of fell into this. Hmm. You know, at one point I was, you know, dancing and rap heels. <laughs> Yeah. You know, that was sort of my, sort of my, uh, my life, you know, and, um, and then, you know, I sort of reinvented myself. I, I went into network marketing and that was easy for me because obviously I was a natural networker and then people started asking me to train them. And, uh, and, and, you know, they, they said I was a coach and I, I thought me a coach, like, I'm not perfect. How can I coach? Like, yeah. like what? Uh, that was bizarre. And so I just developed sort of my idea of, of like what my business should be. Like I, I, it, it just was organic. It it happened, you know, there was a need and people would ask me, you know, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And then of course, people started asking me about introductions, you know, like how how do you get introductions? How do you get people to refer? And again, I I didn't have a a framework back then because this is just something that I did naturally God giving God given talent. And it was a guy, Eric, you probably know this guy. <laughs> I know you know him in uh, Beverly Hills. And he is very famous. He has a referral business mm-hmm. and he charges people for names. So mm-hmm. if you sign up with him, he will give you like a thousand names or 2000 names or something like that. Yeah. And so I talked to him and I said, well, well, how do you do this? And I thought it was cool, but I thought, I don't want that to be my business model. Like, yeah. I don't want to do it that way. So I started teaching women how to monetize their networks. That was sort of the first iteration. And then from there, you know, I was, I was doing it, you know, sort of one-on-one and small groups. And then I incorporated LinkedIn and um, I, I started teaching women how to build their networks on LinkedIn. And then of course, combining that with what I already do. And then it just sort of evolved. And then one day someone said, you know, you're the billion dollar Rolodex, babe. And I thought, that's so cheesy. (laughs) Register that trademark really quick. (laughs) So cheesy. I'm like, yes, I was a beer girl, but now I'm the billion dollar Rolodex, babe. Yeah. And so I thought I'm going to test this out. So Eric, I tested it out. I did a, I did a webinar and and people were like, this is really good. Hmm. So then I thought, okay. So again, I developed it. I started hosting events and then eventually, you know, it became a podcast. Mm -hmm. And then I decided in 2020 to launch my feminine leadership network, because again, I saw a need and, and I, and I, and I, 
I've been to, you know, I live in the UK now. I've traveled the world. You know, I've lived in several countries. I have been to every major network, you know, in multiple countries. And what I noticed is networking was obviously created by men and for men. Mm. And women don't really have a framework for networking in a, in a feminine way, you know, a, a way that leverages, you know, our sort of soft skills. And that's what I wanted to create. I wanted to show women what I call the principles of feminine networking. Mm-hmm. So it's it's about, you know, being a woman, standing in your power. You don't have to look, act, or talk like a man, and you still can do business. Mm, yeah. That yeah. that was sort of the the premise. Yeah. When you say networking in a in a feminine way, what would be the distinctives there? Because obviously I'm coming at it from a male perspective. So I'm curious, what are the differences there in say how a traditional networking event would be set up versus, you know, how you're teaching women to utilize networking within their within their businesses? I think the first differentiator is the fact that, you know, and I won't name the name, but you you know the name in America. There's the very big company. It's sort of the grandfather of all companies. The male way of networking is leading with the sale. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's sort of like, okay, you just put the sale out there. You know, you know, hi, I'm Eric. I'm I'm selling, you know, a mic today. You just put it out there. And it works for men, but for women, it it doesn't feel good. And for women, it's about connecting and finding a way to that you can relate to the other person to establish the rapport, make them feel comfortable. And, and I think that's why women are so uncomfortable when they're networking because they feel like, okay, I got to force the sale, I got to force the sale. And then they force the sale and then they they totally turn, they turn people off and it, it derails the whole process. And so for me, it's about connecting, like truly connecting, finding a common denominator, establishing a rapport, Asking questions, you know, questions show interest. Mm -hmm. Interested people are interesting. Too often it's one-sided. It's just too one-sided. I'm selling lipstick. This is my lipstick. Buy my lipstick. You need my lipstick. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're not buying my lipstick? Okay, bye. Yeah. Whoa, whoa. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you. That work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine 
is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at Indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah. A lot of times that mentality with both men and women, I find comes from like that desperation where, you know, and, and I say this as someone who, when I first started selling anything, it was always like, oh man, I need to make money. So I need to sell. And that desperation would come through and, you know, buy my product, buy my product, buy my product. Like you mentioned, what would be your advice to people who are stepping into this, who are feeling the weight, you know, they're feeling the financial pressure of, I need to do this. Like, how do you encourage them to, you know, take their foot off the the gas a little bit and allow the, the relationship to be organic, even though inside everything is telling them, I need to make this sale today. I need to do this thing today in order to, you know, fill in the blank, uh, whatever that, that monetary goal is. I think the first step is to, and I'm sure you've talked about this. <laughs> okay. What do you, what do you, I don't know how many episodes. So, yeah, like se- yeah. Seven, uh, it's over 700 now. <laughs> Oh my gosh. You have to look at networking as a long-term strategy mm-hmm. and you can't put expiration dates on people. Mm. It's important to continue to build the network long-term. Mm-hmm. So remember when I didn't have any money, okay. I just, you know, leveraged the people that I already knew. Mm-hmm. And that's a very big mistake that people make, especially in this social media era, when everyone's trying to become famous and chase mm-hmm. fans, followers, likes, and subscribers, they don't even leverage their existing network. Right. It's always, who's the they, next they big fish I can catch. Yeah, they, they don't like, like they don't go out and, and pick up the phone and ask, you know, five of their friends. Okay. You know, who do you know that might be interested in X? Like that's the first step so that you can continue to build a network so that, you know, maybe, maybe the person you meet today, maybe, maybe that person is not a good fit, but you can start to build a rapport and perhaps six months from now, you can leverage that connection. Yeah. But I see like this, this is crazy online. What people do, they completely miss the mark. And I I talked about this a couple of days ago. I said, you know, I don't think we were ever taught how to quote unquote social network. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's any online manual out there. So, so people are online social networking, but they have zero social skills, people skills, and it's it, it's it's a nightmare. It, it it's not good. It's not good. No. When, when you go about, because I, I mean, there's some strategy here, right? Like there's there's a level of, you know, uh, Travis always talks about engineered serendipity. Like you put yourself in the right room with the right people, you know, and and there are levels of that to networking. But when you look about your networking strategy, are you you know, are you segmenting this into, you know, hey, I want to spend this much time with my existing network, but also you have these goals. Like uh, everybody has those people like, oh, I'd love to connect with them. Or at some point, I'd love to connect with them. How much energy are you spending on your existing network versus, you know, connecting with somebody who may be in that next level up that has been on your list for a long time? Well, 
you know, what's interesting because I've been doing this since I was 15, mm-hmm. I tend to be in the right place at the right time. Mm. And, and when I need something, I, I already have someone in my vicinity that can help me make it happen. Yeah. So this interview is an exact example of that. Mm. I didn't know you. I didn't know Travis. I met a guy on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like like that's real. Okay. And that's why I say, you know, my Rolodex always delivers, but I want to make sure I answer your question. When I teach women how to build social capital and monetize their networks, the first step is when you have a framework, you can connect with people in seven seconds. Mm -hmm. You can connect with people in, in seven minutes, seven days, seven weeks, you know, it doesn't matter, but you need a framework. And I prefer that you follow the framework without expectation. So this is what I teach. I say, go in with the mindset of being a sophisticated opportunista. That Mm. means that you're not desperate. Okay. You're open for opportunities, but you're not forcing anything. Mm -hmm. So you can connect with someone, you know, in the LinkedIn DM, you can definitely connect with someone Mm -hmm. in, you know, a day and get them on the phone in 48 hours. Absolutely. Yeah. But what I want you to do is continue to build the relationships so that you have a very broad, a wide, a deep network slash Rolodex that you can literally tap into anytime, any place, anywhere. That's the the goal. So absolutely. So obviously, you know, this connection with you and Travis that happened quickly. Mm-hmm. But 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 I'm sort of a master of this process, so that's why yeah. it happened quickly. But there are situations like I'm 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 going back in the entertainment business and and I'm working on some things, and so I literally had a meeting and I thought, okay, how can I connect with you know so and so, and so I'm mapping out like, okay, I know this person, and I'm going to call this person to to connect with that person. So some things take longer, but the whole point is you should be able to leverage your your network. And if you're not leveraging your network, it's it's the most economical way to build a business. Oh. I mean, hands down. Oh. Well, you may have just answered this, but we ask every single guest that comes on the show this question. And I'm, I'm curious to hear your answer. I think I already know, but I won't try to feed you an answer for this. Uh, do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important and why? Ooh, who you know. Or what you know. <laughs> I feel like know. I feel like I know based on uh, your brand, everything it's I've heard you, you say. It's, yeah. it's who you know. It's who you know. It's who you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I, I always have people that are like, oh, it's some mix of the two. It's this. And um, you know, I had someone just recently say, I think it's what you know. And my first question to them was, okay, who taught you what you know? <laughs> it always goes back to who's the person that gave you the information or the connection. And I love when people give a solid, like it's who you know, because I, I believe that. I truly think it is like everything you know came from somebody, like everything is connections. And I see that so laid out within your business, within your brand. Uh, that's huge. And I mean, the billion dollar Rolodex, I mean, everybody's got to have one. You've got to have these connections that uh, that take you to that next level. And also, I mean, give you opportunities to help on the other side. And I'd love to ask about this. How are you investing in the next group of people? Because I think we always have these levels we're climbing, right? We're, we're moving up in business or financial or in life. And then there's the people that are where we were, you know, four or five, six years ago. How are you reaching backward and kind of helping them to do the same? 
Well, gosh, I mean, I, I host um, networking and stilettos um, live on Zoom. And um, and then I, I have um, the networking and stilettos journal that that's uh, due out in March. But I remain open. You know, I'm an equal opportunity networker. And I tell people, that, you yeah. know, like, do not discriminate, okay, yeah. uh, when you're networking. Because this is what people do. People judge. And they think, oh, you don't have any money. Oh, you're not going to buy my products or services. Or, oh, you're not important. Or, oh, you don't know anyone. And oftentimes they miss opportunities. And especially in the fashion industry, the fashion industry is notorious for this. The person that is at the the desk in the the fashion house oftentimes ends up being like the the designer or or running, you know, know, the the company. So you have to be careful with that. And so for that reason, I talked to everyone, you know, I had a woman today, as a matter of fact, you know, she reached out to me. She said, I, I just, I, I just feel so awkward because the ladies in the network, they're so advanced and, mm-hmm. and, and they have, you know, the, you know, successful businesses. And I just don't know, you know, what value I'm going to add, you know, and how I can help. And I said, let me tell you something. Mm-hmm. I said, you have something to offer. Okay. Yeah. Everyone has value. Okay. You have to tap into your value. I sit in on masterminds and and you probably know some of these masterminds. People are very wealthy, 10 million, 50 million. You know, there's a woman, you know, she sold her company for a billion. Okay. I sit in with these people and you know what? I, I don't shrink down. You know, I don't go, oh my gosh, you know, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, I sit up straight, you know? I ask questions, I add value. And a lot of times they come back to me and they want to do business with me. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's another thing people do. People either sell themselves short or they think that they're too good to talk to certain people and they miss the mark both ways. Yeah, yeah, that is huge. I I, I think if there's one thing people can take away from this episode, I think it's that. I think it's that equal opportunity networker mentality is so huge because you don't, you really don't know. And we talk about this all the time in, in terms of masterminds, you know, there's people that will drop, you know, 10K, 20K, 30K, 40K, 100K on a mastermind that, you know, they're, they're not the best person to connect with. Sometimes there's a person who is just a great person, you know, who's, just at the beginning of their journey or somebody who has a great connection or a great skill or ability that makes them a worthy connection. And you don't know until you build that authentic relationship. We've seen it happen so, so many times. And I, I love that point. I think that's that's absolutely huge. Look, I, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, we've got a couple of minutes here and I, I'm really curious to know your answer to some of these questions. We like to end every episode with a quick rapid round just to get people to know you a little bit better right before we end the show. First, I'm very curious, what profession other than your own do you think would be fun to attempt? And you've tried so many different things. I'm curious if there's something you haven't done yet that uh, that stands out. That I would like to do? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I would love to ice skate. <laughs> Interesting. Have you ever tried ice skating? Or is this something you've done, but you'd love to be good at it? <laughs> no, I've I've never tried it. I've never tried it, but, but I love I love the skater dresses. By the way, that's that's sort of my my signature wardrobe is a skater dress. Gotcha. And uh, we were watching the Olympics, and I thought, gosh, I I don't know why I didn't do that. <laughs> Triple axles. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> if you could sit on a park bench with anybody, past or present, and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? Steve Jobs. What would you ask him? Steve Jobs. Okay. <laughs> I'm a Steve Jobs fan. 
And um, no negative talk about Steve in my vicinity. Right. I, I, lo- I love the man. I would ask him, what was it really like hmm. when you were fired from Apple, the company you created with Steve W? Yeah. And then when the company was on the verge of bankruptcy, they hired you back. Mm-hmm. What was that like? It's going to feel good. <laughs> I have to, have to <laughs> yes, imagine. But I want to know. Yeah, I, what I, he I felt. would love to know the whole thought process. Right. Absolutely. How do you like to learn best? Is it books, blogs, audio, video? What's your what's your favorite way to consume information? Ooh. Well, I'm going to have to say two. I love reading, but I also love listening to audios. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah, it took me a long time to switch onto the audiobook train. And uh, now it's like a necessity. I have a four-year-old, so like to squeeze in books is difficult at times. So uh, being able to pop in an audiobook is great. But the thing that I really have loved lately is um, Alex Ramosi's thing, which I was doing before he talked about it, or at least before I heard him talk about it, is uh, listening to the audiobook while I'm reading a physical paperback book is like the absolute best. Like that's like peak retention. Uh, that's a really cool way to, to consume information. But give me a glimpse of your morning routine. What does that look like for you each day? Well, I wake up in the morning and I do binaural beats. So it's sort of um, my my mindset makeover. So mm-hmm. I do that and I do a little bit of meditation and then I I sort of just sort of get ready for the day halfway. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I I do my gratitude and um, sort of my my God time. Yeah. I call it my spiritual practice, but but definitely have a practice to make up make over the mind every day. Subconscious programming is, is so important. And, 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 you know, remember my background. So I had a lot of things that I, that I had to, to overcome and, um, and, and a belief system that um, I had to constantly work on. Yeah. That's huge. Well, you, you've had a lot of time as a backup dancer. Uh, so this next question I think is right up in your wheelhouse. Uh, what is your go-to pump up song? gosh irene caro what a feeling <laughs> there you go i i had to ask I, I had to know what yours was given your your background what is something that you're not very good at Ooh, cooking <laughs> interesting interesting would you rather I love my reservations i can make great reservations <laughs> and um oh I, I do great salads and and sandwiches really you... good i can I Good sandwiches. Are you interested in getting better at cooking or is it something you just kind of accepted like, ah, that's fine. I'm not really interested in, in that skill. I still have dreams of, of going to, you know, like a, a, a chef or like a major culinary school and and learning how to cook. I still have those dreams and and maybe I'll do that. I mean, I live, I live in the UK, so maybe I'll, I'll go to France and do something like that. But, um, you know, I was just busy. I was busy. I I had things to do. (laughs) So on the priority list between figure skating and cooking, which one do you think you're going to try to figure out first? That's easy cooking. Okay. There you go. That's going to be very difficult to get me on the ice because first off, I'm going to be a little embarrassed because it's going to be, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. It looks hard. And I'm, I want to do the triple axel. I want to be like at Olympic level and I'm not 
going to put in that kind of time <laughs> the right. rest of my life. <laughs> little culinary school, a little Julia Child's action. We've got it. We've got it locked <laughs> down. Uh, last question for you. Uh, what's the best place for people to connect with you? Uh, and I'm sure you have a preferred place since you are such a fan of networking. What's the best place for people to connect with you, reach out and uh, and try to try to connect with you? Absolutely. So the, the best place to connect with me is to check out femglobal500.com, F-E-M-M-E, global500.com. And uh, you will come into my world. I will gladly invite you in and sign up and network. And remember, I'm an equal opportunity networker. <laughs> you know, so if you're waiting to reach out and connect, uh, this is the perfect opportunity. And I want to thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I'm glad we were able to connect today and I uh, hope it's not the last time that we chat. It was a really good conversation and uh, love the work that you're doing. Thank you so much, Eric. And, and thanks so much to Travis for this opportunity. And um, because I'm not afraid to ask for what I want, I'd love to come back and um, <laughs> and do another interview. Maybe we can we can talk about, you know, um, how about this? How about this? Can we do another episode on how to network with like powerful people or something like you know celebrities or millionaires and billionaires? You know, something like that. You can do yeah. that and let me know. Yeah, no, I think that would be absolutely huge. And uh, yeah, I'd love to I'd love to have that conversation because I think that's something that. So many people, you know, your immediate network is easy, but when you start thinking about names that feel impossible, it can be intimidating. So I'd love to do that. But yeah, really, really appreciate the conversation. Like I said, I'd love to stay connected and uh, make it happen again soon. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapelcom slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.